to find that one. Okay. Well, as we come to this passage, um, certainly not my area of expertise. <laughs> so if you're like me and you're feeling that you're not maybe over familiar with spiritual gifts, or maybe you've shied away from them and thought, oh, other people have those gifts. Or perhaps you're new to the faith and you're thinking, I don't know anything actually. Or uh, maybe you've just grown up in churches where it's not really talked about or it's not named if it is used. So there can be lots of reasons why we feel a little bit unfamiliar, I guess, when we talk about spiritual things. So if you're with me this morning, remember we're learning together and uh, no one's an expert on anything really. Um, We won't know everything until we see Jesus, will we? So we're learning together this morning. The Corinthian church um, were really confident using their gifts. In fact, they couldn't get enough of them. They're perhaps the opposite of maybe some of us. In fact, they'd asked Paul specifically to tell them about spiritual things. And we read that right at the beginning in chapter 12. It was um, one thing that I guess they were quite familiar with. They were used to um, a culture which had lots of temples and worship of different deities. Quite flamboyant worship was very much encouraged. And... This was, as we've looked at before, something that's enmeshed into their church life. During worship in one of these temples, the worshipper would be taken over by the spirit of the deity. They were very much out of control, you could say, of their body. And this was something that sneaked a little bit into the church. We've seen in chapter 12, where Paul starts talking about spiritual things, that he wants to establish in them that true worship is for Jesus alone. And the second thing, that God has designed it in such a way that all the church, every person, works together to glorify him. It's not about one person having all the gifts and other people just sitting there. He's designed it in a way that everybody gets to contribute, to join in. And last week, we learned how that should be done in an atmosphere of love, that that's the main priority. So it's not a sort of solo experience. It's not something just for the super spiritual. It's not for someone who maybe has just been particularly good. We learnt that it's a gift of grace. It's something that we get and we don't deserve. But Paul wants to ground them in the right attitude. Those sorts of things are the things that he's been teaching them. And so far, he hasn't been very specific at all. He just made some lists, but his main focus has been about their attitude. And this week, he's still building on attitude, but he's going to choose two specific something we might say more supernatural gifts to illustrate some of his points. And so this week, we're going to talk about prophecy and we're going to talk about tongues. So 
So we're just going to start by reading the first five verses of chapter 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. So we're going to do both of the gifts, and then we'll crack on with the rest of the passage. The gift of prophecy. Well, if you Google prophecy, (laughs) you shouldn't. (laughs) You get thousands of websites and books and opinions and ideas. You can read stuff like Armageddon, Vanished into Thin Air. There's loads of charts about what might happen at the end. There's hundreds of prophecies about countries and situations. There's pictures of mountains and waterfalls and rainbows. There's Thus Says the Lord. It's not hard to see why when faced with looking at the prophetic gift, it seems a little bit out there and maybe something that someone else will do. Paul tells us in verse 1 now that we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. He sees it as really important for this what would have been quite a small church. It's so important, he's willing to single it out and talk about it more. In the Old Testament, kind of history of prophecy, we see how uh, prophets would prophesy about the situations. And we see Moses looking and going, how I wish everyone could prophesy. He talks about that. And later on, another prophet, Joel, says, it will happen. People will prophesy. They will have the spirit of God in them, and they will know God for themselves. And then in the birth of the church, we see this happening. We see in the beginning of Acts how they spoke in tongues. They were filled with the spirit. And throughout the book of Acts, we see that when people become believers and receive the spirit, they speak in tongues. We see this kind of outpouring of the presence of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Now, it's worth pointing out before we get into this, that the experience of our apostles and the prophets of the Old Testament, things we find in scripture that we would say are the word of God, infallible word of God. This is what we base our lives on. That kind of prophecy is perhaps a little bit different to the prophecy we're talking about here. It's perhaps a unique and unrepeatable gift. The gift of prophecy available to us, and the one that Paul's talking here in the Corinthians church, 
is something different. Now, I'm going to need you to just peek forward to verse 29. So we'll just need to look across the page. And here he says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. So we've got a situation here where it's done in a a group uh, situation and others are asked to weigh it. Um, Someone might say, oh, I feel really strongly that God is saying this. The others asked to sit and weigh, you know, is that from God? Is that really what God is saying here? Okay, and we're going to come back to that a bit more in a while. Because we're going to look at three definitions from theologians. As I said, it's not exactly my area of expertise. So we'll look at really clever people (laughs) and see what they have to say. (laughs) The first quote is from Wayne Gruen. You might have heard about him. He's a theologian. He defines it as reporting in human words something that God spontaneously brings to the mind of the believer. Now, the reporting in human words bit is because he's really keen to say, this is not a thus says the Lord situation, but this is someone in their own words expressing what they feel the Lord might be saying. So it's fallible, isn't it? It's not, thus says the Lord, da 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 da. But it's, hmm, I'm going to interpret, I think this, and I, th- I think God's saying this is what it means. Can you, can you think about that? Maybe you want to pray about that too and get some other people. We'll pray about it and say, yeah, we sense this is it. That's quite different, isn't it? From a kind of Old Testament prophet, thus says the Lord sort of thing. Let's look at the second one. This is from Leon Morris. He defines it as God-given wisdom, understanding, insight, and teaching that speaks specifically to a person or a church. So in this one, there could be elements of this found in preaching that happens every week. There's a, maybe a certain insight into a situation. Even within our community, deciding which building contractor we thought we should go for. We're going to pray about it, aren't we? Not really sure. As we're coming at the moment to look at whether we should push on for June with our building work, we're asking as a community, aren't we, what's God saying about this? What what do we get a sense of what he's saying? Are we agreed on that? Our, Our elders might bring a certain thing and say, we believe that the Lord is saying this and this is the right thing to do. But we're a community, aren't we, to weigh that up together. And finally, what I think is quite a nice, simple one, is a guy called Michael Green, which you might have heard of or not. He says, a word from the Lord through a member of the body inspired by the Spirit and given to build up the rest of the body. And that's a nice, simple one, isn't it? Because in this passage, we're hearing that continually, aren't we? Building up the body, building up the body. And that's a really important thing. We're, um, we read about how it's strengthening and it's encouraging and it's building people up. It's not tearing people down. Well, we're going to dart around a little bit. So you'll need to have your Bibles ready. But we're going to look at what this, the Word of God is telling us about prophecy. So firstly, if you look at verse 2, it tells us that the person who speaks in a, t- in a tongue, um, does not speak the blah, 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 sorry, at the end, <laughs> um, 
He utters mysteries with the Spirit. Everyone who prophesies speaks to men. Oh, sorry, speaks to men. Beginning of verse 3. I'm very sorry, I got the wrong verse. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men. So first off, prophecy speaks to men. It speaks to the church. It's not, um, it's not like praise and worship to God. Secondly, end of verse 3. It's for strengthening and encouragement and comfort. Thirdly, verse 4, at the end we read, he who prophesies edifies the church. That's another word for building up, builds up the church. Verse 9, have a little peek down. He's talking there about tongues. And he talks about unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You'll be speaking into the air. Um, Oh, I'm very sorry. I think I got the wrong, the wrong verse. But it's about um, prophecy is intelligible. It's easy to understand. It shouldn't be confusing. It shouldn't be um, convoluted. It should be straightforward. It's for the church. Verse 22 I've got. I hope I've got the right one here. Prophecy, however, is for believers. It's for believers. But if you look down slightly in verse 24... And 25, you'll see that prophecy can convict unbelievers. Perhaps they come in, and we're talking about in a prophetic way about what the Lord might be saying to us. Well, an an unbeliever might say, well, this seems to me that the Lord is real. It's not just a matter of these people singing and talking into thin air, but God appears to be communicating with them. Verse 29, which we looked at already, prophecy should be weighed up and tested to see if it's from God. Verse 31, I'm whizzing on a bit and John will see this after Easter. It can be seen as an instruction and a word of encouragement. And finally, in verse 33, it is not something a person has no control over. Do you remember how we said about how in the Corinthian environment, uh, being filled with a spirit of a deity was very much about being out of control? Well, this is someone not out of control, they're in control. It's not spontaneous in the fact that, oh, I must say it right at this second. It could be something that's been prayed over for a number of weeks, months, years, in fact, to get a sense of what God is saying into a certain situation. Hopefully you got the basic idea. Let's look at tongues next. So let's go back to verse (laughs) 2. We'll hop in a little bit. For anyone who speaks in a tongue. Now, this word glossa, I don't know Greek very well, as I said, I've read a lot. (laughs) It means tongue or language. And in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit is given as a gift, we see Peter explains it a little bit. They spoke in a foreign language, um, that they didn't know themselves to thousands of people in the crowds who were able to hear it in their own language. And tongues were very everyday in the early church, as we read already, we've heard about already in the Acts of the Apostle, we hear tongues are being spoken a lot. But here in this church, remember, they're not a massive crowd of people from different places. They're all from Corinth. They all speak the same language. It's quite a small bunch, a few house churches together. So 
tongues here, what's that about? What's its purpose if it's not communicating a language? In verse 2, if we read on, we see the words, no one understands him. And we read on a bit more. He utters mysteries with his spirit. They are mysteries. This is perhaps something different, isn't it? It's beyond, it. tongues can be a language, and we've got lots of examples of that, maybe um, when people go to other countries and suddenly they find that they're witnessing in the language of the people that are there, even though they don't know that language. But there's also something different, isn't there? This kind of mysteries of spirit. And back in chapter 13... Verse 1, Paul talks about, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. So perhaps there's just a a wider understanding that Paul has of tongues that's beyond just human languages, perhaps more to angelic languages that no one understands. And if you hear tongues today, there's plenty of people in this community that do speak in tongues. It often sounds strange. It might not be an identifiable human language. But we shouldn't just disregard it because we don't perhaps understand it. What does he say in verse 5? He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Paul sees this as important. It's something to be valued. It's, it's a gift of God, and therefore we should prize it and honour it, not just disregard it because we don't maybe understand it. Sometimes I think maybe, as the Corinthians maybe overused the gift and overvalued um, it, we maybe devalue it a bit. We need to watch out for that. So let's read just again verse 3 to 5. Just because we forget as we go. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. So what's Paul saying here? Well, firstly, he's reminding them that gifts are not just for individuals. They're to build up the church. He tells them that prophecy is for strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. He talks a lot about this word edifying, just building up. In fact, he mentions it seven times just in this chapter. He's really keen that the church is strengthened. If there's someone gabbling away in the corner, they might be having the best time they've ever had worshipping Jesus. This is great. But in a community centre situation, where's the edification of the rest of the church? Where is the strengthening of others? Where's the building up of the church? They might as well just do that at home. This morning we had a testimony, didn't we? Just widening it to the other gifts. We had a testimony of healing. We were encouraged. We were strengthened, we were built up, we were maybe challenged to pray more. It's a wider definition, isn't it? But it's the same principle, that gifts should be used to build up the church. 
But if someone uh, taught from the front, if they shared a song, if they'd written a song under the influence of the Spirit and they taught it to us, we could be built up together to praise God, to grow with each other and to be mutually encouraged. Now remember, Paul isn't saying don't speak in tongues, even though he's been majoring on prophesying. Later on, he says, don't forbid the use of tongues. So don't stop it in your churches. Don't swing so far away that you don't use it at all. In verse 5, remember, he wants all of them to speak in church. But that prophecy to it is more beneficial to the whole church. And that's why he writes underneath, unless he interprets. Have a little look at that. The end of verse 5, unless he interprets. Now here, why? So the church may be edified. Let's look at interpretation of tongues next. Fancy word, hermonia. We'll go with that. That's probably not even the right pronunciation. (laughs) It can be translated as interpret, but it means articulate, clearly translate. But I read something by David Pryor that I thought was quite helpful, so I'll read it to you now. He says, it means less of the idea of translating one language to another, but rather more akin to discerning what the Spirit is saying through one who is speaking in tongues. Shall I read that again? It means less our idea of translating one language to another, but rather more akin to discerning what the Spirit is saying through one who is speaking in tongues. So in verse 2, we read that the person in tongues was speaking to God, and later on we read that in prophecy, speaking to the church. And that's why Paul distinguishes prophecy in a church kind of big meeting environment as being more beneficial. But look what he does here, unless they interpret, unless people can understand, unless the church can be built up. Verse 13, this I found interesting. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. Not perhaps to interpret the words he's specifically saying, but to articulate the response of God's heart to what is being said. In this case, it matters very little whether the length of the interpretation is longer or shorter than what is being said, which is often a kind of argument against tongue interpretation, saying, well, he went on for 10 minutes and then he only summed it up in one word. Do you see? Okay, we haven't got long, but the next bit's pretty short. We're going to read 6 to 17, and this is going to be our last bit for this morning. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? 
you will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you're praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself amongst those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. And in regards to evil, be infants. But in, but in your thinking, be adults. We'll stop there. Okay. So... Paul's going to spend even more time here outlining the correct use of tongues. Now, probably you've grasped a little bit by now, thinking, yep, that'll do, thank you. So why is he going on? Well, remember Paul is writing to a congregation with specific needs. And they've asked for specific things. It seems that this church might have been a little bit obsessed with tongues. If you think about their culture... There's probably something that fits really well for them, isn't it? If they identify being filled with the spirit of a deity, of being a little bit out of control and a bit wacky, and, and there were apparently some kind of tongue spoken, then this is very normal. And this is what they would see as spiritual. We also know that later on he talks about disorder. So perhaps their services were a little bit chaotic and random and everyone kind of came and did their own thing. It would certainly fit with what's going on in their culture. He's going to make a few more points now, and we're going to do them very quickly. Firstly, verse 6. He wants just to give them the obvious. What would happen if I came to give you instruction, and all I did was speak gobbledygook up the front? Be useless. I might as well stay at home. I might as well not come. Then in verse 7, he says, you know, like instruments. We know what they sound like. If we can feel the mood of a piece of music, can't we? Whether it's a somber piece or a joyful piece, it tells its own story, doesn't it? When the trumpet sounds for battle, people know what to do. Now, um, who's playing today? Is it Margaret? Margaret, if you were to come up here and just play one note continually to us... You might be having a great time there of worship. Lord, I just want to thank you for this, this note especially. But we would think she's gone barking mad. We wouldn't have a clue. We wouldn't know what to join in with. It's the same sort of point that Paul's making. So he gives them some practical, practical advice. Verse 13. I think this is important. Pray that you may interpret. And you're going to doubly benefit. Not only will you be praying with your spirit, but you'll also be praying with your mind. You'll understand what's going on as well. That's got to be so much more beneficial. 
Secondly, verse 16. Speak plainly to others so they can join in and say, Amen, I agree, yeah, let's go for that. He's like, no, I've lived abroad for a while, and when you go to church and it's in another language, you sit at the back and uh, someone interprets. But if there's no interpreter, you just sit there. And all this stuff's going on. You haven't got a clue what is going on. You cannot possibly say amen. You might be able to have a quiet little time with God on your own. But to be part of a community, to be built up, there's nothing. Let's speak plainly. And the church in times gone by, we know, has been kind of a bit like this. Keeping services in Latin. Not wanting to translate the Bible. We need to keep thinking, don't we? All the time we think about our services. How can they be accessible? Maybe someone doesn't normally come to church or not our style of church. How can we make it accessible and easy for them to come in? And finally, verse 18 and 19. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct you than 10,000 words in a tongue. You know, we might have degrees, doctorates, we might have been studying the Bible our entire life. But unless we can communicate basic stuff to each other, to encourage one another, to build each other up, it's kind of a waste of a gift. You might be having the best time ever, but we need to keep things simple and make sure always that our gifts are building up, strengthening and comforting the church. I'm going to stop there, and I think the bands are going to come back. But um, can I just have that a minute? Just as they're um, coming, I've just got a few things um, for us to think about. I was thinking firstly during the session, well, let's just praise God for the gifts that he's given us. Secondly, remember our responsibility to edify and build up the church. It's not just a few people, but as a community, we have all got that responsibility to encourage someone this morning, to build them up, to share what's going on. We are to pursue gifts that we might build up the church. Which of these gifts would build up the church? We're in a church. Would faith be a great gift to ask God for? Would healings encourage the church? Let's eagerly desire the gifts. There'll be some prayer ministry time during this time. and If you would like to come forward and talk it over with me or anyone else or pray, pray together. You want to use this time to ask God. And I was thinking especially for people that speak in tongues, because I hadn't really noticed that verse particularly, to come and ask and say, God, give me the gift of interpretations this morning. I'll leave you with that.